welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast is Salisbury University head baseball coach Troy Brohan. Coach Brohan is entering his eighth season as head coach at Salisbury. In his seven seasons as head coach, Salisbury has made the NCAA regional seven times, been to the College World Series twice, and won the national championship this year. Salisbury has a great tradition having been to the NCAA regionals 22 straight years. Coach Brohan is one of two coaches to win a Major League Baseball World Series as a player and a Division III National Championship as a coach. Played collegiately at Nebraska and was an All-American in 1993. Pitched 12 and a half seasons professionally. After he was finished pitching, took the pitching coach job at Salisbury and was an assistant there for four seasons. He had a five-year stint as a high school head coach winning a state championship with Cambridge South Dorchester High School in 2013. In this episode, we cover Salisbury's national championship season, Coach Brohan's path as a player and coach, his thoughts on player development, coaching high school and college, and continuing Salisbury's tradition. Let's welcome Coach Brohan to the podcast. Troy Brohan here, Division Three National Champ Salisbury, uh, eighth season as a head coach. Uh, you and Scott Brocious, only two Division Three head coaches to win a Division Three World Series and also an MLB World Series. So thanks for jumping on with me, Coach. I appreciate you having me. Thanks. Yeah, I got a chance to talk to you in Cedar Rapids a little bit, and it's so hectic, um, you know, as you're competing. But have you had a chance to reflect on on the season at all? You know, not really. Uh, you know, we were just talking about we, we, you know, we left Cedar Rapids. We got back here late uh, the, the night we returned and we had some fanfare here, some media, the president, some alumni to, to greet us. The next day we're doing exit meetings and we're sending kids off to summer ball. So um, it was kind of a, a whirlwind. We, we really haven't had time to just sit down, talk about it as a staff and enjoy it yet. Most all your guys out this summer playing? Uh, 99% of them. Uh, we had a couple that... Had a few injuries uh, that are a little banged up that wanted to take half the summer off just to kind of get healthy. And uh, once that that's all said and done, they'll, they'll get back into the swing of it. Well, and especially with COVID probably cutting some games for you guys, probably more important this year to, to make sure guys are getting their reps in, correct? Absolutely. Uh, especially for guys that, that didn't get as much playing time as maybe if we would have played the 40-game schedule. 
Um, you know, our, our big thing for those guys is to get out and, and get their reps in, get their swings, get their innings, um, just see some live pitching, see some live hitters. Um, to me, that that's extremely important. And we talked about that in Cedar Rapids and just your program is built on development. Do you feel like summer ball is a huge piece to the development side? Absolutely. Uh, but the, the biggest key to that is making sure they're getting in a competitive league that they're going to play in. Um, not a competitive league where they're going to sit and play once every four days. Um, a, a competitive league that, that suits their skill set, um, where they're going to get tons of reps and be ready when they come back here in the fall to compete. And that was the same conversation I would have with guys. You know, everybody wants to go to Alaska. Everybody wants to go to the Cape. You know, how do you have that conversation with those guys? Like, hey, you're not ready, and, and it's it doesn't matter where you go. You just need to get your reps in. Yeah, I mean, we, we we're brutally honest with them. Um, I'm not a sugarcoater. I mean, everybody on my team will tell you that. Um, I'm very straightforward. And we just talk about their skill set, where we see them playing in the future, um, where they're going to get the most reps, um, and, and what's going to benefit them the most to come in and compete um, for a starting job next year. You know, going going away for the summer and, and getting 20 at-bats ain't going to do it. Um, so they need to get somewhere where, where their skill set matches that league and they get plenty of reps. Give your assistant some love. I know Ron's been with you for a long time. Give your assistant coaches some love. I tell you, um, you know, all the accolades kind of, you know, start from the top with myself as far as when you get this, this, and that. Um, but you can't do it with, without great assistant coaches. Um, Ron Sires has been here for, for seems like, 106 years. Um, but but he's been here from the beginning. And, you know, in 2000, when, when they laid that foundation to start this tradition, this culture around here, um, he was part of that. And and probably one of the biggest joys for me, um, you know, obviously I, I love to win in the whole thing. I think it's great, great for the program, everything. But to see him enjoy it the way he enjoyed it, I mean, he was an emotional mess. Um, all through the hotel room that night, the next morning, every time he got a text from an alumnus, I mean, he was just an emotional wreck. But, uh, you know, he, he puts a lot of time and effort into it. Uh, he has for 24 years. And, uh you know, he's probably one of the best infield coaches I've ever been around. Um, we had Austin Heenan, who was a, a transfer to us, pitched one year, uh, volunteered a couple years ago, and now he's my, my grad assistant. He does a phenomenal job with the pitching staff. And then we brought in Chad Ween about a quarter of the way through the year. I was going to try to do the hitting this year, um, along with some of the pitching and uh, I just wasn't knowledgeable enough. Uh, and, and some of the guys knew Chad uh, from hitting in the summer. He came in. He related to the kids great. And, um, you know, I, I think our offense clicked once he joined the staff. So, uh, What point What point did Chad come in? I mean, what point in the year? I would probably say about 10 games in, 12, 15 So games it's right in. in the middle of the year. Yeah, right towards the middle. Um, and, he, and he came in and, and just uh, fit in like a glove. I mean, he came in and, and – uh, He's very knowledgeable. Um, he's he's closer to their age, so he relates to them a little bit better, um, but not too much where he's you know buddy buddy with them. Um, but but I thought everybody did a phenomenal job, and he goes down. I mean the training staff doesn't. Get, I mean we have Mary Tavornik who's phenomenal with our guys and strength and conditioning, sports performance, uh, Mike Wade. I mean all of them. You can go down the list. They don't get the recognition sometimes that maybe I do, um, being the head coach. But uh, you know they're they're very valuable to this program. 
And by the way, you're nine and one at that point when you bring him in. So it's not like things were, I mean, again, you said maybe take a little bit more off your plate, but was, was that it? I mean, you guys are rolling at that point. That's not well, an easy thing to do. Like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to throw another coach into the mix. Right. Well, now. I, I tell you, we might've been nine and one, but I don't think our offense was, was playing very well. I think pitching and defense pretty much carried us through that. We had, we had a few spurts where we scored some runs. Um, but I think once Chad came on board and, and, we solidified the lineup a little bit better. Um, you know, I, I thought we clicked a little bit more on all three three parts of the game. I mean, and, and yeah, and talk about your players a little bit. I mean, the season you guys had, you hit 335 as a team, stole 99 bases, fielded 978, and then had a team ERA of 291. So, that I mean, that's a recipe for winning a lot of games. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, we, we rest our hat on the pitching and the defense part. Um, the offensive part of it, I'm, I'm more, the guys don't like it too much, but I'm a nationally guy at heart. So I, I'm, I'm big on to the small ball. Um, you know, I like advancing guys. Um, I, I'm not big on the big bashers. Now, will I turn one away that can hit me 20 home runs? No, I won't. But in division three, let alone division one, how many guys on a team do you see hitting 10 to 15 to 20 home runs? You don't. And I think one of the biggest things that we did, uh, over the past two years was develop a bullpen number one. Um, I think that was that was the key to our success this year. And then number two, we went to speed, more of speed, aggressiveness, pressure on the defense. And I think those two things right there were, were very important to our success. Well, yeah, yeah, you had 77 more stolen bases than your opponent. And, and by the way, you say you're a National League, guys, but you scored – 373 runs in 38 games. So you're averaging almost 10 runs a game. Well, here's here's what I'll say. We don't sit back and wait for the three-run homer like an American League. I, typical American League, they wait for the three-run homer. National League, they you know, advance guys and they manufacture runs. I think we did a lot better job on manufacturing runs, whether it's stealing bags, bunting them over, hit and run. Um, going first to third, I think uh, base running was an extreme importance to us this year where – we think two out of the box. We think when you're on first, you're going to third, and you think on second, we're going home. So we're always thinking two. And uh, when we do base running drills, that, that's a big part of it. When are you mixing base running in during practice? Uh, we usually do it right after stretch, right after they get uh, done loosening up, get, get everything ready. We go straight into base running. So that, that should tell you right there how important it is to us. That's the first thing we're going to do. How did you maximize your training time with COVID in the fall and then coming into the spring? How did you maximize your time? You know, I, I give Salisbury a lot of credit. Uh, I think they were extremely in front of everything. Uh, I know there were a lot of schools, a lot of coaches that I talked to that, you know, they thought their administration was very timid as far as going through this. I thought we had one of the best falls we've ever had. I love the 114-day thing. I think it gives you an absolute um, must of evaluations, especially with arms. When you're going four days a week for four weeks, what you usually do, you might have guys stretched out to two in extreme. You can't really tell there. Um, but I, I thought it was outstanding. We had 26 full team practices. We didn't have to go in short groups, four groups, you know, six. We went straight from day one till the end um, with with a full squad. And, and I thought that was outstanding, especially for the coaching staff being able to evaluate. Um, and, you know, with all the restrictions, so we were testing every week. Uh, you know, we did have some guys contact trace, but – you know, for the most part, we had a full squad the entire fall, and it was great. Did you have any unsung heroes on your staff? I mean, you've, you've talked about, you know, Justin Meekin, Sky Rayhill. You've talked about those guys in the past. But, 
You know, I'm looking at a guy like maybe a Jimmy Atkins. He had 12 starts. Um, you know, how does he fit in the mix? You know, he hit 341 for you guys in 12 starts. Well, I tell you, he, he was a huge he, – he is a huge player on our team. Um, he would probably been our one or two in the rotation. By midway through the season, he has a little bit of back pain. And um, all of a sudden, we lose him for the rest of the season with a stress fracture in his back. And, you know, the resilience of our club, you know, Xavier had to come in from the bullpen now. He's in the rotation. Clayton Dwyer, who he had spot started – or he had started in the past two years, but spot started this year. He's so – He's so dominating out of the pen. We wanted to use him out of the pen. He had to step back into the rotation. Um, and then some other guys had to pick up the slack where they left in the bullpen. So Jimmy's a big part of this team. He's, he's coming back this year, which is great. He's going to be fully healthy. And uh, we can't wait to get him back on the field. Looks like you had closer by committee. You had eight saves. Uh, three was the most with, with Clayton Dwyer. Um, but then you had one, 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 one after that. Was that by design with committee by closer, you know, closer by committee? Well, I'm not a I'm not a big closer as far as a ninth inning guy. Um, my philosophy is when the game is about to be decided, whether it's the fifth inning, the sixth inning, the seventh inning, you go with your best arm out of the bullpen to keep you there and allow you to tack on. So my best arms will come in in the middle of the game, and then I will piece it together at the end, however we're going to do it. Um, but my best arms will come in when the game's on the line. It doesn't have to be the eighth inning, ninth inning. It might be the fifth inning, and you'll see my – designated closer um in the game and, and that seems like it started to get some play with francona with the red Sox. seems like he would bring miller in when did you really start to to kind of switch or have you always thought about that that we're going to bring uh, uh, our best arm in in a high leverage situation it might be the fifth or sixth inning I, i've done this since day one and we had a kid here kyle hamby who was uh, i think he was six saves away from se uh setting the record here at salisbury and I called him into my office when I took over the job and said, look, you're, you're probably not going to like this, but this is how I operate. Um, you're going to be in some amazing games, some games that are going to be decided when you're in the game. They just might not be at the end, you know, in the eighth and ninth where you're getting that so-called save to keep tacking on. Um, I don't think he was a big fan of it, um, but he adjusted very well. And when we got, when we went to the world series that year, 2015, he came in in the sixth inning, I think, of the regional and closed it out uh, to the ninth and sent us to the World Series. So um, that, that's all, it's always been a philosophy of mine. Why wait to the ninth to use your best arm when games are decided a lot earlier a lot of times? Well, yeah, and it seems like maybe we could get a hold of the Sabre guys and be like, hey, if somebody comes in in the middle of the game and shuts it down and the team ends up winning, that guy probably should get credit for the save. Amen. Amen. I mean, however they want to – you know, do it statistically is great. Um, I'm just worried about him keeping that game right there and allowing us to, to tack on a little bit. Did you have any turning points? I mean, you never lost more than one game in a row. So, I mean, was there any adversity for you guys during the year? Well, obviously everybody had adversity with the whole COVID situation. So we did have some guys contact trace, had to miss some games. Um, two, two, two things stick out to me. Number one, um, our 23 inning loss to Southern Virginia. Um, Southern Virginia, I think, went one in 24 on the year. Um, they beat us in 23 innings. Um, it was their head coach's thousandth win, which I went right over and congratulated them afterward. We just didn't play well. And if you talk to Ron Sires, my assistant coach, and he doesn't agree with this, wins and losses, or I'll take it, losses don't bother me when you get beat. Losses bother me when you, you don't play as well as you're prepared to play. Um, so we didn't play well that game. 
Um, they beat us that game, fair and square, no ifs, ands, or buts, no excuses. Um, so I think that was that 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 gave a little sense of urgency to our kids. I think. Um, and then when Kali Caster um, got COVID traced and had to sit out for 14 days, we struggled at the the, uh, the DH position pretty much all year. We we had guys went in and out, in and out, waiting for somebody to take hold of it. When he went out, um, Scott Cameron came in off the bench and played left field. Well, he absolutely lit it up. I mean, hitting four or 500, couldn't miss a ball. Um, so when Kavi came back, uh, we found our designated hitter. Um, and our lineup from then on um, was pretty solidified. And, and then you had Kavi in the two and Scott Cameron in the three. And that's how it stayed pretty much the rest of the season. And then they both performed very well. How do you address that with the team then after a tough loss? You know, how, how are you handling that with them? I'm not a screamer, if you ask anybody. I'm not a yeller. I can probably count on one hand in the eight years how many times I've yelled at the team. Um, you know, I just we didn't play well. Uh, you know, we have to have a sense of urgency coming back out here to practice tomorrow. Um, you know, we go over some situations where maybe we didn't get a bunt down. Um, runner in scoring position, we didn't move them over or something like that. Things that we had done all year, um, but for whatever reason, for those 13 innings and extra innings, we didn't do it. Um, we couldn't get the alpha AB. We call an alpha AB a two out hit and out. We couldn't get that alpha AB. I think we left 19 runners on from the eighth inning on. Um, so we had extreme opportunity to do it. And, and it wasn't just one person. I mean, up and down the lineup had those opportunities and uh, we didn't get it done that day. So, um, you know, I was telling the sun comes up the next morning, next day at practice. First thing I said, said, see, I told you the sun came back up this morning, you know, um, so I, I don't take it like that. I think I went home that night and took my wife out to dinner. Um, not that it doesn't bother me, um, but I don't let it eat at me like, like you know, some do. How, how do you define kind of that, whether it's sense of urgency as opposed to maybe trying to press to, to make things happen? Yeah, well, I think in that game specifically, um, you know, how can you not think, well, this team hasn't won a game you guys are ranked fourth in the country, and then all of a sudden you're pressing. I mean, everybody up there is pressing. They're trying to squeeze the juice out of the handle of the bat, you know. Um, I thought our pitching staff did a phenomenal job. We, we relied on, I think, two or three guys that day to get us through 12 innings that didn't have many innings. Um, so they did a great job. Um, I just thought offensively we tried to do too much instead of just, you know, we always say be the best you, and they tried to be better than what they were. You know, you, you were in Appleton in 2015, Cedar Rapids, win it. You know, how, how do you compare the, the two different sites? Uh, it's kind of difficult. It's a difficult question just because of the whole COVID. Um, you know, you had the, the parade or the, the ceremony when you come in in, in 2015. Um, we had none of that this year. Um, guys like going back to the field to see the other games. They had none of that this year. Um, so it was, it was it's, it's hard to compare them. Um, I hopefully we'll make it back next year to year after to year after, and it'll be a lot different um, with all these restrictions lifted. Um, but, you know, of all the things that you went through there, you know, I told our team that there, there's 300 and some odd teams that would deal with all these restrictions. They, they would trade places places with you in a heartbeat. So, you know, don't don't take it for granted. Talk about what Brian Kane's mentor program. I saw a tweet this week. He and I go way back. Sky Ray Hill actually sent something to, to Brian. You know, he's going into the ROTC program it looks like here talk a little bit about brian kane so he's done, no he's done some stuff with ron and then like sky rayhill going into the rotc yeah. i mean mental 
to me, that's the hardest thing that you try to teach to a, to an 18 to 22 year old. I know when I played run, I don't know if I understood what, what mental toughness was. You know, we, we sit here and we stress about how you go from good to great as far as a hitter is concerned. You know, the old the old adage is if you, if you get three out of ten hits, you're going into the Hall of Fame. You're hitting 300. You're going to Hall of Fame. But they don't talk about the seven failures, you know, and the, and the seven failures, in my opinion, through all the years that I've played, the guys that went from good to great, those seven failures they learned from. You know, guys that just stayed good, man, they, they were the ones that threw their bat. They were the ones that threw the helmet. Those, those were the guys that didn't sit back and think about, man, how did he just get me out and how am I going to adjust my next at bat? You know, and, and, and again, 18 to 22-year-olds trying to talk mental toughness and how to, you know, think about the game during those failures instead of react to the game during those failures, it's tough. It's, it's really tough. They got short memories. I mean, you played in the big leagues, and, and I think the guys that make it are wired different. You're one of those guys. Talk maybe a little bit about how the wiring works for guys and being able to, to almost forget. They have amnesia almost with, with bad performances. Absolutely. And, and I try to pass along some of my experiences as far as I was a left-handed reliever. So, I mean, I would come in and I was either the hero or the goat, one or the other, one or the other. But the one thing that I stress to these guys is that every night I went back to my apartment or to, my, to the hotel room on the road, I could always look myself in the mirror and say, man, I gave it everything I had. I wasn't timid. You know, I don't care if you were facing Barry Bonds or the pitcher for the other team. I was coming after you the same way. And when I went back and looked in the mirror, I said, man, I gave him everything I had, whether I, I did my job or somebody got the best of me. And that's what I try to tell these guys. You know, if somebody gives up a home run or, gives up a game-winning hit or something, it ain't going to be the first one, and it definitely ain't going to be the last one. It's going to be how you adjust to it. Um, so the, the mental toughness part of it, I, I wish I could figure out how to pass it along. Um, we do the best we can here. You know, Coach Sires, I mean, before the regional, he's bringing out turkey wings and smoke, and he's burning stuff. And, I mean, I, I called it voodoo, whatever it was. But it worked, you know, he, according to him, it worked or what he was trying to, to do with the team. Um, so, you know, we, we've pulled out all stops during this COVID time. How long did it take for you to develop that mentality at the big league level of trying to come in and get one guy out a game? I mean, that's your role as that left-handed guy is you're coming in to get one out. How did you handle that? Because that, that's well, not what you were at Nebraska, correct? No. I mean, you're an All-American in 1993 at Nebraska – Big part of that staff. How did you eventually get comfortable in that role of coming in to get one guy out? Well, I don't know if you're ever comfortable. Um, but, you know, I was a starter. And then when I had Tommy John to get me back sooner, they moved me into the bullpen, which was a blessing in disguise. I'd never pitched out of the bullpen. Um, but I went to extended spring and I started pitching against left-handers only. And I had a lot of success. Um, so that's how I made the big league club. And that's how I got to pitch in the big league for a few years. You know, yeah, I had one. Joe Thatcher, he pitched for me at Quincy and, and had a nice journeyman career of just coming in to get one left-hander out of game. No, absolutely. And, and the thing that, that is the difference here and what I tell our relievers based on starters is as a starter, you can you can dictate the pace of the game. You know, you, you, you have time to maybe make a mistake and recover from it. Um, as a reliever, when you step foot out of that bullpen, Man, you got to have all guns blaring. You got to be the most confident you've ever been. 
and, and you got to come out there and perform immediately. You have no, you have no room to, Hey, maybe I walk a guy or maybe, you know, this happens or, uh, you, you don't have that opportunity. So that was the biggest adjustment for me. Um, as a starter, you can kind of get out there and get a feel for the game. Um, but I always tell, I tell our guys that pitching, you know, they, they put you out on a mound that's this much higher than everybody else for a reason. You know, you're out there to set the tone, to set the pace. Um, you know, you are the, the person who runs the game. You know, you, you, you set everything. You know, you have to have that confidence in you. And if you don't, everybody around you, you know, the pace of the game is so important to me. Um, our guys, we get it and go. We get it and go, get it and go. Um, because, you know, your team behind you wants, wants that. You know, it keeps them on their toes. Um, so pace of the game, stuff like that is, is extremely important. When are you training them with your relievers in the bullpen to, to have everything happen, you know, before? Because it, it seemed like for me with our guys that maybe had started in high school, they're transitioning into a reliever role. It took them a while to figure out, okay, now I'm ready to go in, and they're not rushing to, to get ready to go in. Now, there, there's that sense of urgency, like you have to get ready, but you also have to have your stuff ready to, to come out to the game mound also. Absolutely, and, and you know, most everybody that comes into a, a collegiate program probably has been the best pitcher on their team, number one. Your best pitcher ain't going to be a reliever, so they're going to be a starter. Um, so it, it takes some time for them to develop that, um, you know, that mentality of, hey, can I get ready in this amount of pitches? Um, what, I, what we try to stress to them is, hey, you know, if I tell you to get hot in a hurry, okay, you got five, six, seven pitches, but you also got another five, six, seven out on the bump. You know, that's what they lose track of. They think, man, I got to get all my bullets ready in the bullpen. No, you just got to be ready to go and then get out there and, man, then, then get it going. So little tricks of the trade like that, um, you know, that, that we try to pass along to them to try to help them prepare. And, and again, I think our biggest flaw prior to this year has been bullpen depth. Um, we've, we, Salisbury has always had a one, two, three, four starter. Um, that's why if we ever lost in game one of something, we were always confident because we thought our twos, threes, and fours were better than their twos, threes, and fours. Um, and and the bullpen depth this year was extremely important. And if you look back at our regional and the World Series, I guess that's nine games. I think we only got three quality starts out of those. As far as we had some starters go five, but it, it wasn't one – you know, we had to bring in a reliever in the fifth or in the sixth. Jackson Balzan was the one that gave us two solid starts that really saved our bullpen in those situations. Is it more gratifying winning a Major League Baseball World Series as a player or Division Three National Championship? You're the 750,000th <laughs> person to ask I think it's that. a phenomenal uh, story, by the it, way. It, it's so totally different, and, and here's the reason why. Number one, in the World Series or in the Major Leagues, when I pitched, I could kind of determine an outcome. You know, my performance, good or bad, could determine the outcome of a game. Um, as a coach, yes, can we can we put a player in here or put a player in here or pinch it here or bring in a reliever here? Can you play chess with, with different guys? Absolutely. But I'm not the one pitching, I'm not the one catching, and I'm not the one hitting. So I have no no uh, say in how they perform. You know, we, we try to put our guys in the best situation to perform um, given their skill set. You know, if, if we think you're a power hitter and we need a bunner up there, well, I'm not going to put you in that situation or vice versa. We're trying to put the guys in the best situation, uh, given their skill set. And, uh, you know, you let the chips fall where they may. 
how did you get to Nebraska from the Eastern Shore? I mean, this, this is back in the days where it yeah. was more regional recruiting-wise. So how, how did you get all the way over there? I uh, was fortunate enough to play on the junior national team uh, as a junior in high school. Um, went out to the Olympic Festival in Minnesota. Ended up making the Olympic team to travel to Cuba. Uh, played for the World Championships. Um, after that, uh, man, letters and phone calls and everything started coming in. And back then, you know, it was a phone call to your house, not your cell phone, not the tweet, not the everything else. Um, and I went on my visit. I think I went to Arkansas, uh, James Madison, a, a school close to here. Uh, I coached there four years, by the okay. way, in the late uh, I 90s. Went to, I went to LSU, um, and I verbally committed to LSU when Skip Burtman was there. And then Nebraska called me, and I already verbally committed. Nebraska called me. I had one trip left or something, and I was a huge college football fan. And back then, Nebraska was one, and Colorado was two, or vice versa. And they like, we want to bring you in on this you know, football weekend. Come out and enjoy it. I said, absolutely. I mean, I had already verbally, but I'll come out there. And I fell in love with it. It just reminded me I'm from a small town in Maryland. You ride down the road, everybody waves to you. Um Nebraska, the best thing about it was there's no pro sports in Nebraska. So the entire state focuses around the university. I mean, I went to my first volleyball game there and there was 27,000 people there. I mean, it, it was unbelievable. Um, and it was the, probably the best decision I ever made. Made great friends, great relationships. To this day, I still keep in touch with them. Um, and, and that's how I ended up there. How many complete games did you have in 93? I have I you I couldn't tell you a stat of mine. I to, I need to look, but it was a lot. Like it was eye popping, and, and I well, mean, the, how the, come guys don't do it anymore? I mean, how? Well, the pitch count part of it, and and um, you know, we're we're not you know crazy about it here as far as hey, I, I believe just say you throw out a round number of a hundred. There's a big difference between a hard hundred and an easy hundred. Um, you know, if you're going a hard hundred, it might be time to get you out of there because that might be 125, 120, you know, 130 pitches. But if you're cruising through an easy hundred, you might be able to get out there a little bit. And, you know, as far as the complete games back then, a quick story is that I didn't go to Nebraska to pitch. I went to Nebraska as an outfielder and I played outfield my entire freshman year. And then we had a few injuries my sophomore year. And the coach asked me, Troy, I know you, you know, you said you don't want to pitch. We're not going to put, would you mind stepping in and just filling in a few games? I said, absolutely. Well, my head coach threw me out. My first collegiate start was in the Johnny, Johnny Quick Classic. Fresno State. Yep. Fresno, California. I pitched against the number two, three, four Clemson Tigers. My first start as a sophomore, I'm, I'm you know, scared to death, but I go out there, complete game, 18 punch outs. And from then, I was a pitcher. I was a pitcher. Now, I still DH'd and did stuff like that. But I think after that, you know. You, you had 13, by the way. You had 13 complete games in 1993. I just okay. looked it up. Well, I mean, just, you know, from that point on with that Clemson game, the confidence was there. And you just figure you're a left-hander. You're throwing low 90s at that time. Um, that might be a route to achieving your, your dream of pitching in the big league at some point. That was my first year coaching at Evansville. For anybody who doesn't know, Bob Bennett was the Johnny Quick Classic, Fresno. You were there all week, so everybody yeah. came out spring break week. Yep. You, you had two-sided brackets, and then Absolutely. you would you would win your bracket, and you'd play either it, Constellation. It was, it was, it was, it was an unbelievable a, tournament. It, it was a great tournament. I think we went there all three years that I was at Nebraska, and, and it was a great tournament. You had great competition. I mean, 
yeah, Clemson there, St. John's, I think Washington State came in. Uh, Fresno obviously was there. Um, but but you had some great competition, um, you know, for, for that tournament. Yeah, we saw Jeff Weaver at Fresno back then. You know, Jared, his brother, pitched at Long Beach. And then John uh, Adam Petty John, both big leaguers. So yeah. we saw – and. You know, Purdue was out there, Bowling Green, just a nice mix of, of teams maybe that you didn't always get to play and didn't see. Absolutely. So fun, fun, fun tournament. Absolutely it was. Hey, who mentored you as a professional player then? You get you go from Nebraska into the minors. Who who mentored you? Well, I'm, I'm going to start a little bit before that. Um, my father's always been my role model. Um, he played competitive. Him and my mother both played competitive softball growing up, modified softball, not, not slow pitch. Um, so I was on a softball field my entire life. Uh, my father's actually in the National Softball Hall of Fame. Um, so it started back then. I had some great high school coaches, uh, Brian Femi, Kermit Hines. Um, and then I went to Nebraska and had John Sanders and Paul Myers. And uh, both of those guys took a, a small town kid that, you know, the only experience I'd had outside of playing where I was, I played in a, in a Baltimore Metro League. And then I went to the, the U.S. team. Um, those were the only two experiences I had outside of my home, hometown. So I go to this big school and, um, they, they, you know, they were father figures while I was there. Um, you know, John, John played a little bit of professional baseball. So did Paul, uh, the two coaches there. Um, and, and I just had a, a great love for it. Um, a great respect for it. Um, played with some outstanding players there. Um, for us never going to a regional while I was there. And I know the criteria was different back then, but, um, we had Darren Erstead, um, Alvy Shepard, who was a, a first-round pick with the Orioles. Mark Sagmon, I think, was an eighth-round, tenth-round pick. Derek Ducard, a twelfth-round pick. I mean, we had tons of talent there, um, but but never were able to put it together and get to a regional. And then one of my favorite coaches of all time, I mean, I had great big league coaches with Ron Paranowski, Bobby Welch. Uh, I had some great guys, you know, in the big leagues, but one of my favorite is Todd Oates. And he passed away, unfortunately. Um, but I was at was, Iowa when Todd was a pitching coach in Minnesota. He, Unbelievable he was one person. One of my favorite coaches ever. I had him in A ball. I had him in Double A. I think had him a little bit Triple A. Then he was a Rover with the Giants, and uh, he he just was uh, he was just phenomenal. And, and he taught the mental game. He prepared you, and and he just did little things where he'd write you after every start. He he'd write stuff, uh, you know, uh, a report to you, not to the Giants, not to anything. He just personalized it, um, you know, and there, there were a couple times, you know, as, as a young guy in the minor leagues and you go out and you come in the next morning with glossy eyes or something like that. And um, I, I say this to my guys to this day that he looked me in the face and he said, Troy, I'm just going to tell you, you can't soar with the Eagles if you're hooting with the Owls. And that saying has stuck with me my it's entire life. one of my life. dad's favorite sayings. It's it stuck with me my entire life. And to this day, I, I use it with our guys out here on the, on the baseball field. But Todd Oates had a, had a huge influence on me in the minor leagues. And uh, I was sad to see him go back to the University of Minnesota or go to the University of Minnesota. I know it was close to home. It, it made every ounce of sense to him. Um, but I just thought he was a great baseball mind and, and just loved him with all my heart. And back then in Nebraska, because you and I are in the same age range, and I, I got a chance to watch Alvy Shepard throw. Back then, the Big 12 was doing midweek games. So was the Missouri Valley. So we went and played Oklahoma midweek after they'd won the national championship. And Alvy Shepard threw against them the day before. So it was one of those yeah. well, weird matchups. Well, that was the year after I left them. Because yep. Oklahoma, my, my, the year I left in 90, 
four or something. They won a national championship or something like yep. that. And I know they they won it the year I, I was leaving or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And back then, back then it wasn't the Big Twelve; it was the Big Eight. Yeah. That yep. that's dating myself right there. That, <laughs> that's really dating myself. You know, you had a solid major league career. I mean, did somebody tell you it was time to hang it up, or did you know? You know, we all get to that point where, yep, and you're pointing that, right that at your shoulder. Yeah, no, that 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 told me to hang it up. Um, you know, it, it took me a, a long time to get there. Um, I played, I think, twelve and a half years of, of professional baseball and got three and a half in the big leagues. Um, you know, and in '98 when I had the Tommy John, I was on the verge as a starter getting to the big league. I got traded to the Diamondbacks. I was the last guy sent down in spring training. And Joe Garagiola and Buck, uh, uh, Buck Showwater came in and just said, hey, listen, we have two days off, three days off. We're carrying an extra position player. The first injury we have, you will be up there. Um, I go down to AAA, blow out my elbow first game. Um, a week later, another guy goes up. Um, so something like that, you know, that was heart-wrenching. Um, I remember sitting in my in my uh, hotel room just bawling my eyes out because I worked so hard to get to that point. And uh, it was like all being taken away from me. And at that point, Tommy John, it was successful, but it was not a, the same. It wasn't the same. And, and to see that light at the end of the tunnel a year and two months away, man, that's hard to do when, when you know, you're used to being out there competing. Um, but again, it was a blessing in the size, got me into the, into the bullpen. And then Bob Brenly took over. Um, I came in, had a, had a great spring. Again, the last guy sent down. Um, and he said, when we go to an extended pitching staff, you will be called up. I was called up the fourth day of the season. Um, and the rest was history. So, um, you know, like I said, the injury, and then I had shoulder injury towards the end of my career that, where I was used to throwing every single day, I had a rubber arm. I could throw every single day. It didn't make any difference. And it was taking me a good amount of time to get those knives and everything out of my shoulder loosening up. Uh, and it was just time to hang them up. Was it tough going back to school? I mean, you, you signed early, so you got to finish your degree once you get out. Was it hard going back to school once you were done? Uh, it wasn't hard. I, I took, I think, a year off or so. Um, then Coach Fleetwood called me here at Salisbury and said, hey, would you want to – he was my high school football coach. Um, so he came over and he said, hey, would you want to come work with my pitchers? Now, here's for me, I'm 30 minutes up the road, never heard of Salisbury baseball. Never heard of – Salisbury. I knew Coach Fleet was over here coaching football and baseball, never knew anything about it. So I'm thinking, well, I'll come over here and I'll teach him how to grip a fastball or I'll, I'll teach him how to hold a runner or something, you know, just club stuff, you know. And uh, I get over here and I'm like, holy moly. I mean, I had no idea this type of program was here. Um, you know, like I said, I went to Nebraska. Our practices uh, mirror what we did there. I mean, you know, the only difference between us, and I, and I consider us one of the, the top echelon of D3, um, the only difference between us and maybe the bottom 30, 40% of Division One is depth. Is, yes, is I've depth said it forever. Around. It's just I the mean, depth. Consistent depth is, is, is the only difference. You look at our top guys, they could play at bottom 30, 40% of division, division one. And that's what we recruit against. You know, that, that, those are the players we don't recruit. And this isn't to make division three look bad, but we don't recruit a division three player. 
you know, we, we look above that. Yeah, that's a misconception. Every program is trying yep. to, to bring the best players Amen. they can. They don't label guys. I, yep. That's That labeling's outside of the coaching community. Absolutely. Inside the coaching Absolutely. community, you're trying to, to recruit the best guys you can for your program, regardless program. of what. Yes, that, for your program. your program. I mean, there have been many guys that have wanted to transfer in here from Division One, or do, but they didn't fit what we were trying to do here. Their skill set was phenomenal for what they do. But, but they didn't fit what we were trying to do here. And I think as a head coach, that took me a little while to to learn that, man, okay, Division One wants to come here. Well, I better recruit him and get him here. That'll make our team better. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Well, sometimes guys are leaving a place for a reason. They're leaving for a reason. They're leaving and for a reason. Our philosophy here was to transition to more of a speed-oriented team. And just because that guy's coming from Division he might not fit what you're looking to do there. Um, so it took me a few years to to realize that and, and to the recruiting part of it, that D1, a transfer, JUCO, whatever it is, it isn't always the best fit just because they're coming from a labeled bigger, bigger division than you. Now, you go to the high school level for a little bit. Was it always your plan to go back to the college side or, you know, how, how was that? You go from college side then to the high school side for a little bit. Well, I got my degree here at Salisbury while I was an assistant or a pitching coach here for those four years. I got my degree. Um, I'd had a couple kids by then, um, and, you know, they were starting in the small country school by my house. They were looking for a PE teacher. That was my degree. Um, I thought, what better time to spend time with my kids, earn a living, everything, um, than doing that. Um, as I did that, the high school, my, my high school where I graduated, the, the coach was stepping down. Um, and it was offered to me to do it. And I was like, okay, let me get my feet wet in the coaching thing. I've always wanted to give back. I, I love it. I love, I don't ever talk about myself, but that I was the first thing you told me in Cedar Rapids is that, that you want to give back. Experiences. I talk about the experiences that might help them become better young men. Um, so I took over that. We were fortunate enough in two years to win the state championship. First time in 30 years it had been done. Um, and then coach Leewood called me and said he was thinking about stepping down, that I want to throw my hat in the ring uh, to take over this program. And and I absolutely did. Um, I'm, I'm glad I did. And in my opinion, I relate more to the 18, 22-year-old, 18, 23-year-old than I do to the 15 to 18-year-old. Um, I just think my experiences, um, the things I'm trying to teach and pass on, or even my assistant coaches are trying to pass on, we relate to that age bracket better than we do to the younger, the younger kids. And then that's why I came here and, and, you know, took over this. What else did you bring from the high school side back? I mean, you're on the college side, you go to the high school side. What'd you bring with you that you learned on the high school side to the college side? Wow. Uh, what did I learn in the high school side? Well, uh, budget. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I learned a lot about a budget. Um, you know, even getting here, you know, learning about the budget side of it. Um, you know, the baseball side of it, the one thing I love about division three, and I know, and I tell parents when they come in here, they might not love this, that I love this, but I can't give any athletic money to them. Um, I absolutely love it because the kids come here that want to play baseball. It isn't that I'm giving you this X amount. Now I have to play you. Um, you know, I say this at our first uh, meeting every single fall that I don't care if you're a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, Gratis, whatever you are, the best player will play here, and and I think, you know, not being not having or not being able to give that type of money, 
to me is just a blessing because I mean, everybody here busts their hump every single day to prove themselves. You know, sometimes, you know, you get a little bit of uh, athletic scholarship and there are some that we call it fat cat. You get fat cat and you feel like, well, I don't have to work that hard. I don't have to work as hard as him. And, you know, that's why, you know, our walk-on program here is, is big. We don't have a huge turnout, maybe 10 to 15, something like that. But I have a soft spot for them because of the success and the tradition and the culture of our program. I think it takes a lot of courage to think, man, I can walk on to a national championship, you know, program. I think I can play there. Man, that takes some courage, Ron. That takes some courage to come out to a walk-on and say, man, I know you recruited 35 other guys, but I think I can play here. That takes a lot of courage, and I respect that, and I have a, I have a huge soft spot in my heart for that. Um, if you look at our World Series team this year, um, the final game, you had Luke Waddell playing third base, a walk-on. Didn't play more than four innings his first two years. We had somebody else penciled in at third base to start the season. That person didn't perform. Luke Waddell stepped in and never looked back. And then you talk about a worker. Then you had to look at second base, Cullen McCullough. Both of these guys were all World Series teams, all on the old World Series team. Cullen McCullough, walk on. Never hardly played at all in his three years here. And then all of a sudden he gets an opportunity three quarters through the season and never looks back, ends up with nine or ten hits in the World Series, batting out of the nine hole. Um, those two, I mean, so you talk about success stories. I mean, me going to the big league compares nothing to what the time, the effort, the energy, the the mental toughness that those two and others on our team um, demonstrate, and and they will for, forever. I know Coach Cyrus's PowerPoint to begin the fall, they'll be on it, but they'll forever be um, used as examples of you know courage, determination, and and just always believing in yourself. I mean, he, he, Colin McCall said, "Man, so many people told me, why are you doing this after three years of not playing?" Why are you even still playing? You're, you're going to 5 a.m. lifts. You're going to practices. You're, and you're not getting any time, you know. And, and to have it end up like that for him, man, that was awesome. I had so many good stories. And so it does take some guys some time. That's why, you know, any players listening in, like, it may take you just a little bit more time. Keep plugging along. But at some point, you've seen everything that you're going to see already. So just go out and perform and just trust that you have the experience and you've seen everything you're going to see up to this point. Absolutely. And then you get back to the mental toughness part of this whole thing. I mean, to me, skill set is great. Um, you know, you can throw a ball hard, you can hit a ball hard, but man, that mental toughness and fortitude to, to, you know, especially when you're not playing, are you still going to be a great teammate? Are you still going to, somebody's playing in front of you, are you going to come to practice every day and push them to get them better? But in turn, you know, they realize they're getting better as well. And, and I think that that makes this program special because the competition, if you come to one of our practices, the competition I mean, it, it's just it's it's unbelievable. Do you have a fail forward moment? Is your arm injury or fail forward moment maybe something that you thought was going to sidetrack you? But looking back now, one of the best things that happened to you. Or do you have something else that's a, a fail forward moment that you can think yeah, of? Yeah, no. I mean, you know, the arm injuries, uh, the Tommy John, especially um, the injury that got me out. You know, I was able to to come back here and give back like I've always done. I mean, I don't know if this opportunity, if I would, I always thought, man, I'm a left-handed reliever. 
I'm going to be like Jamie Moore. I can pitch till I'm 67 years old. Um, you know, but you know, my body told me can't do it. Um, so I don't know if this opportunity or a coaching opportunity in general would, would have ever, ever been there because whoever took over for coach Fleetwood, um, would be an absolute idiot to not stay here for as long as you could. You know what I mean? We have, we have tremendous support. Um, the recruiting part of it's great. Our facilities now, we just opened a $4 million stadium three years ago. So now the, the facilities are matching the tradition that we've had. Um, and, and not that recruiting is ever easy, um, but I can tell you this, when Coach Fleetwood did it for 15 years recruiting to the old field, and now I'm recruiting to this field, I can tell you this, it's a hell of a lot easier. I can promise you that. You know, we've, we've got some pro guys that are jumping onto the college side that haven't had any college coaching experience. What What's some advice you'd give to those guys? Man, just, just stick to who you are. You know, I, I could have easily come in here and, you know, try to get guys that just hit bombs everywhere, try to get guys that, that just throw hard as they, they can. And, you know, I realized that when you have a philosophy of what you want to do and what you've always done, um, and you get those players in here and, and they buy into what you're trying to do, um, man, it, it just makes coaching so rewarding. And as far as the pitching part of it, which, you know, I'm, I'm obviously a pitching guy, so many guys look at the radar gun. So many guys look at the radar gun. And now if you look at our staff this year, we had two guys over 90, but we had a bunch of pitchers. You know what I mean? And the last time I checked, uh, 93 doesn't get you outs. Pitching gets you outs. You know what I mean? Pitching gets you outs. Um, so if you can have guys that come in and, and you know, can compete and, and master two pitches, have a third one that complements and competes, that those are my requirements to pitch here at Salisbury, master two pitches, we'll work on a third one, and you better be able to compete. If you don't, this isn't the right program for you. What's the best advice you've ever gotten? I mean, you talked about Todd Oaks. Besides, besides, if you're going to hoot with the Owls, you gotta, you gotta <laughs> cluck with. That was my day. If you're gonna, if you're gonna hoot with the Owls, you better cluck with the chickens. I hear you. There you go. <laughs> Best advice I've ever gotten. I mean, now that's a really tough question. I mean, I've been around some, some great mentors in my life. Um, to, to kind of single out one, I, I don't know if I can think of one off the top of my head, um, but you know, just. You know, from Greg Swindell, who's, who was one of my best friends in the big leagues, took me under his wing. Um, things that I not remember what he said, but just his actions of, I'm competing for your innings. I'm a rookie. You're a 15-year vet. I'm competing for your innings. I'm on my upside of my career, hopefully. You're probably on the downslide of your career. Um, for him to take me underneath his wing and show me, what it was like to be a big league, big leaguer number one, what it takes to be a big leaguer number two, and then be my friend from day one to this day. I mean, I'm still friends with him today. Um, that just says a lot about his character um, and, and what type of person and what type of team that was because we had so many veterans with 15-year plus. I mean, I could go down the roster. There's probably 10 to 12 of them. Um, but they didn't care about me being a rookie. They cared about winning. Um, and that's what we try to pass along to some of our guys. It doesn't matter if you're a senior, man. Seniors, freshmen, it, it doesn't matter. It's all about coming together and, and putting the best product on the field that gives you the best opportunity to win. Sometimes it might be two freshmen and four seniors. Sometimes it might be four freshmen and two seniors. 
Um, but you have to have that leadership and, and unselfishness. And uh, when you just said that, what did I learn? That his name just popped into my head for some reason. I mean, what stuck out about his habits? Uh, you know, I think that the elite ones have elite habits. So, I mean, what stuck out about a, a guy like a Greg Swindell's habits? I, I just think he was a lot like me. I mean, I'm a very quiet guy. I'm a very reserved guy. Um, if you don't know me, you'll never know that I played Major League Baseball. You'll never know that I'm a D3 national champion. Um, you'll, you'll never know any of that about me unless you ask. Um, he was very, we had very similar character traits that way. Um, you know, he just, he took me in when he didn't have to, when, you know, sometimes you're competing against somebody, you don't want what's best for them. You know what I mean? You, you want them to fail so you can continue doing what you're doing. Um, he had, he had no animosity like that at all. Um, and, and, and it's a great teammate, great, great teammate, great teammate. And we passed that along here that, it doesn't matter if you're playing or not playing. Um, you have to be the best teammate um, that you can possibly be. And and if you're not, this isn't the right program for you. What about the worst advice you've ever gotten? Do you have one of those? Yeah, staying out till five in the morning and pitching in a day game won't hurt you. <laughs> no, we know uh, so much I, more about rest and recovery and sleep and all that now. Uh, like we didn't, we didn't, you didn't know any better back in those and days. And I give coaching and I give coaching and so much crap because, um, you know, we live in a more entitled society these days, um, and I feel like we coddle too much sometimes you know i'm old school where i mean my last collegiate start right before the draft i threw 183 pitches 180 that was nothing counted, back then brooks kieschnick did pitches. no never did that was nothing I'll never back forget then walking up the steps that we were at the big eight championship in oklahoma city and walking up steps some scout came up to me and he's like are, are you crazy right now i said what are you talking about you threw 183 pitches today Man, I said, I feel fine. You know, I feel fine. But that's what it was. You'd come in the dugout and the coach was like, hey, how you feeling? I said, I, I can give you another one. I can give you another one. They didn't care about that. But, but I think we coddle them a little too much. And I give Austin Heenan a hard time because he does a phenomenal job with the with the arm care, the maintenance, the strengthening of our pitching staff. And, and he has everything laid out every single day of what they're doing, whether it's med ball throws or T-spine whatevers and, you know, all this other stuff. I'm like, what the heck? Get the ball and go out long toss. I mean, that that's what it's all. Long toss and get on the bump, you know? Um, so he's opened my eyes a lot to um, some of the, the strengthening. and, and the, the training piece is where it's yeah, gotten the, the so much he's, better. He was an exercise science major, and he's, he's always throwing out these big words that I need to watch the something, something. I'm like, okay, whatever. But he's teaching me a lot about arm care, arm strength, arm maintenance, all that kind of stuff that – that really has developed our pitching staff extremely well, extremely well. Do you have any habits that you've kind of kept now that, that help you? You feel like stay on top of your schedule? You know, college coaching is high stress, a lot of hours. Do you have any daily habits and routines built up that you uh, like? You know, I, I don't have any really daily habits. I'm not a superstitious guy by any means. Um, I don't rub a lucky shoe or something before every game or, or whatever you have you there. Um, one thing I try to do um, that, my, that my parents always do, I, I never take a win or loss home with me. Um, I have three kids, 15, 10, and 8, 
Um, How's your re- I mean, what's your reset for that to, to not take it home? How are you able, because that's easier said than done. How are you able to not take that home I've, with you? I've just always been like that, right? I mean, I, I've always been, again, we get back to, to how it was before. Losses, when you lose, it doesn't bother me because I've been around this game. So I've, I've lost many games in my, my career. Um, not saying it doesn't, I shouldn't say bother me. It doesn't eat away at me. Losses bother me but they don't bother me enough where it's going to affect my home life, my personal life. Um, you know, I have a nice 20 minute ride home after games. I usually come into my office. I just sit here and I'll go over the box score, go over whatever. Um, what can we do? I'll make myself some notes that we can talk about the next day at practice. And then I take a 20 minute ride home and I look forward to seeing my wife and my kids. And, and I don't, it's just my personality. And that's just always been my personality. What would you like to see for Division Three going forward? I mean, we talked about the 114-day window. Um, what are some other things that maybe you want to see out of Division Three going forward? Well, I, I'd love to see that because I, not only does it benefit the coaching staff as far as evaluation, but I think it benefits the players as well. Um, you know, to give them those those extra days in the fall to prepare, um, especially when you're coming out of the summer leagues and, and, you know, all of a sudden you're here and you got four days for four weeks just isn't enough for them. It isn't enough for them. Um, and especially you talk about the student athlete experience um, to give them the more days there to be with the coaching staff, to develop their skill set. Um, I think that's extremely important. Um, I'd like to see, you know, I don't know how they're going to do it. And I mentioned this to a, to a couple of the reps at the world series, you know, we've been fortunate enough to go to six world series. I feel like sometimes it's almost like you're there and it's like, hurry up, let's get it done. And then get you out of there. Whereas, you know, we play two pods, um, get the pods done, especially like a day. Uh, well, you had some late night games. I mean, well, we had some late night games, but especially a year like this year where St. Thomas won their their pod straight. We won our pod straight, but yet we're playing the very next day. Why not give you a day off and then you're allowed your, your game one starters. Just say your game one, your game two starters to get their normal rest. And then you're getting the best product. You know what I mean? Instead of bringing your ones back on two days, three days rest, you're getting the best product for a national championship series. Um, you know, and, and I know with, with money situations, and I don't know how much they lost this year with COVID, and we're not a money generator like Division One is. Um, but so you want it to be competitive, and you want it to be fair for, you want, for everybody you want, involved. You, it, it's, it's always going to be competitive who you throw out there, but you want the best two teams – with their best two products on the field. You know what I mean? And usually it starts on the bump. It starts on the bump. So um, I would I would love to see that. I would love to see a little more love. And, and again, it's hard to compare this year compared to the 2015 in, in Wisconsin. But I'd just like to see a little more love towards the athletes. Um, this year was so hard because of the testing. And, and I, I get it all. But hopefully next year they go back to the opening ceremonies. They go back to the things that, that – made going to a college world series you know everybody get there and it's like man we're in the college world series this year it was kind of like hey you're at the college world series but you're only allowed to do this you're only allowed to do this and we're not doing this and i and i get it because you wanted to have it i mean look what happened to nc state yeah. i mean i i get every bit of it um, but if you're asking me i would just like more of the student athlete experience to be to be glamorized a little bit more when they reach that pinnacle of, of their career. You know what I mean? 
you know, we, we talked earlier about coming from the Eastern Shore all the way to Nebraska. Did playing fall games help? Because back then we could play a bunch of fall games for Division One. Did that help you make the transition? Yeah, we don't play any fall games here. Our university won't let us, whether it's, uh, you know, field use or supervision use or, or uh, even the grounds crew being able to, to get it and getting teams in here, all that kind of stuff. So we, we inter-squad twice a week. Um, so, so the evaluation part, part of it this year was phenomenal. Um, we are allowed to play two uh, scrimmages in the spring. So what we usually do is bring in a JUCO, a couple of JUCO teams that, that we're looking at some guys uh, that might be a fit for us, get them down here on campus, see the, see the facilities, see all that kind of stuff. Um, I love but, playing junior colleges in the fall for the same reason. You know, yeah, you got I mean, a better I, evaluation. Yeah. Um, they playing again, they're playing against your own guys. You get a chance to get them on campus, but then you also get a better evaluation because they're playing yeah, against I mean, your own guys. Playing, we, we play two scrimmages a week and it's all fine. I mean, you get your evaluations, but like you just said, pitching against your own guys is totally different and hitting against your own guys is totally different than playing an outside opponent. Um, you know, pitchers might not want to pitch inside as much. Um, you know, there's more, I don't want to say cutting up and carrying on, but there's more of a relaxed feeling because you're playing each other. There's more. It's it, it's you know, comfort. You're you're not yeah, gonna you're comfort. not gonna get out of your there's comfort more, zone. There's more talking from the dugouts than you'd ever you know yeah. see if you're playing somebody else. Um, so would I ever love to play some non-conference games or some some exhibitions in the fall? Absolutely, um, but I don't think it's it's feasible if you're doing it with that four day a week, four weeks. Because by the time you're able to play, I mean, you got guys built up to two innings or something, three innings. I mean, that 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 wouldn't that wouldn't suffice for me. Now, if you're doing the 114, I mean, golly day, you can build some guys. I mean, we had guys built up to six innings, seven innings this year. We never had in this program. What are some final thoughts? Um, thinking about how we're going to approach the fall. Um, you know, always trying to make the team better. Uh, been recruiting on the recruiting show the last two weeks. Had guys on campus um, the last two weeks. Uh, you know, I've talked to a lot of guys, and we returned seven offensive starters. We returned every pitcher but one, um, Clayton. Um, they're like, man, my God, you should, you should get back there and repeat again. Well, they don't understand how daggone hard it is. It's hard. To, to number one, get to a regional. Um, we're going back to independent this year. Um, because our, our conference is disbanded down to three teams. So we're going back to, to independent. I mean, if you, when my schedule gets released, it's like we're playing the 27 Yankees like 16 times, you know. But you have to do that to get that to get that bid and, and pool B have a, have a really tough schedule. Um, you know, but, but just thinking about that, that first fall meeting, you know, we always talk about this program being uh, how much tradition it has and the culture that's been built here. And we always talk about, What's the one thing this program has never done? You know, we've never done it. This is what you guys are, are trying to chase, a national championship. Well, now the program's done it. And I've heard people, Coach Cyrus and I have talked about, you know, people saying, well, you have to defend your title. Well, we both agree that you don't defend. I think defending it becomes complacent. Um, I think you still have to chase. You have to chase another one. You know, and I, and I think that keeps your kids hungry. Um, so just kind of thinking about what's what's going to be said in that first meeting. I mean, heck, that first meeting is going to be here in about two months before you know it. Um, you know, half the summer's gone already. Um, so just thinking about that first fall meeting, 
Um, best thing as a, as a head coach of a national championship team is that you got the design rings and now I'm waiting for everybody to send me their ring sizes and, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm looking forward to that ceremony, um, trying to uh, figure out how we're going to do it, uh, some type of banquet or whatever, but getting everybody back on campus with their friends and families and, and handing out those things. I think it's going to be a great thing. And um, like I said, th this was a, our, our program has, has always been well-recognized. Um, but now, you know, this is kind of like the icing on the cake uh, as far as uh, accomplishments for the program. I appreciate you coming on with me, Troy. I appreciate it, Ryan. Thank you very much, buddy. Thanks to Coach Brohan for jumping on with me. An opportunity to spend some time with him in Cedar Rapids for the Division Three World Series, so I knew this would be a beneficial episode for anyone running an organization. His great pulse on how to keep players accountable and pushing forward. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Kale, and Matt West in the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter, CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram, RyanBrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.